So, Rachel. Yeah? Kirk's investigation of an energy force takes him to a planet where a mysterious man suddenly appears. Ooh, sounds like another light beam one already. Mm -hmm. They're investigating the energy source because it might be fuel or a ship has gone missing there ages ago, maybe. Watch out, though, because they can't use any weapons or fists anymore. The Organians have seen to that. Mm. So let's hope the energy source is either nice or they are Klingons who can't use their weapons either. <laughs> or Kirk and the gang going to be screwed. <laughs> a mysterious man. I'm looking forward to the period costume he'll wear if he's really a light being. <laughs> we haven't had Elizabethan or 1920s yet. Oh. Am I close? Uh, we'll see. Rachel watches Star Trek. Captain's log, stardate 3087.6. While investigating an uncharted planet, the Enterprise, and at least this entire quadrant of space, has been subjected to violent, unexplained stress and force. Sensors have reported the presence of a human being on the planet below who might be connected with the phenomenon. With my first officer and a security team, I have set out in search of him. You have just beamed into a podcast where a guy, me, gets his non-nerdy wife to watch Star Trek. We affectionately call it... Rachel Watches Star Trek. I'm Chris Lackey. And I'm Rachel Lackey. And this episode is brought to you by La Belle Esplanade. We had a little dip into their blog today, mm -hmm. and there's a post about us. Oh. Yeah, about this podcast. Part of it says... La Belle Esplanade, a small five-suite hotel on Esplanade Avenue, is your New Orleans Star Trek hotel. Mm, what do you think about that? I like it. We don't show up for breakfast in uniform or anything, and we won't usually talk about Star Trek unless you bring it up. Should the conversation turn to Star Trek, Frau Schmidt, who is the better half of the operation, and Matthew can talk about The Next Generation, Voyager, or Deep Space Nine. They have watched every episode. Like myself and Rachel, they are currently watching all the episodes of the original series. If you're looking to stay in a unique personalized hotel in New Orleans, close to the tourist action, but in a unique neighborhood all its own, we know just the right place. Visit New Orleans like you belong there. So check out La Belle Esplanade. Com. Yeah, and check out the blog there too. So this week, the episode is called The Alternative Factor. And though it sounds like a standard by which you judge merchandise at Hot Topic, <laughs> it seems to be one of the worst episodes of Star Trek. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So let's <laughs> tackle this puppy. It begins with the Enterprise in orbit around an uncharted planet doing routine scans when everything goes all wonky. Twice. Spock says that the universe seemed to blink. Hmm. An image of space with a supernova or something is superimposed over the footage. Really weird. Yeah. So after the psychedelic freakout, a man appears on the planet, or so the ship's sensors say. Mm. There was no life previously, but now there is. What? Spock is surprised that their instruments didn't pick up life accurately, but this has happened loads of times <laughs> already. <laughs> So on the bridge, we have, what surprised me, another black female officer, mm. Lieutenant Charlene Masters. She's wearing a blue tunic, so I guess she's in the science division. And she speaks. Yes. It's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Why isn't there more of her on the show? She's only in this episode. Uh... Anyway, Spock, Kirk, and four ethnically diverse security guards beam down. You see this very enthusiastic guy yelling a greeting to them. He says, you came. It's not too late. And then he falls down. It's ridiculous. <laughs> He has the universe's worst beard wig. 
<laughs> it's straight and threadbare and bizarrely it's bald across his top lip yeah. so it doesn't fall in his mouth, I guess. Uh, yeah. I presume it's supposed to communicate that he's been stranded there for a long time without razor or scissors. But his hair's shorter than the beard, so it doesn't make much sense. It doesn't make any sense. And no period costume. He's got a future jumpsuit on all ragged. <laughs> it looks like he's been through the, the ringer. They take this guy up to the Enterprise. Kirk gets some bad news. The dilithium crystals are drained. I'm going to talk about dilithium a bit here because it's a big deal in Star Trek. Mm -hmm. So I went to Wikipedia for a concise description. Dilithium is depicted as an extremely hard crystalline material that occurs naturally on some planets. When placed in a high-frequency electromagnetic field, Eddy currents are induced in its structure, which keep charged particles away from the crystalline lattice. This prevents it from reacting with antimatter when so energized, because the antimatter particles never actually touch it. Therefore, it is used to contain and regulate the annihilation reaction of matter and antimatter in a ship's warp core, which otherwise would explode from the uncontrolled annihilation reaction. <laughs> you read it in a way that it should have been comprehensible, but I ain't got no clue. So what the dilithium does, they run energy through it. It creates a, an electromagnetic field that keeps matter and antimatter from touching each other. Mm. So any kind of matter that would touch antimatter, no matter what it is, would cause annihilation explosion. What's antimatter though? That is a theoretical state mm. of matter, I believe. I don't think it's actually proven to exist. I could be wrong. But it's matter that is completely oppositely charged to our regular matter. Okay. So like even beyond, you know, electrons, it's like this whole other opposite matter that exists. That's how the Enterprise it powers itself. It's with a matter-antimatter reaction. And that creates this insane power, more so than fission or fusion or any of those things. It's it's super powerful. Ooh. Theoretically, of course. We have had the crystals before. Was it Galileo 7? Did they talk about the dilithium crystals? We've in had Galileo it in 7? at least one episode before. Well, I thought it was time to talk about it because... Yeah, well, I just still didn't understand it, that's for sure. <laughs> but wait, now you do, right? <laughs> Not really, no. I get that it's more powerful than fusion or fission, but and that antimatter is a, ne is a negatively or oppositely charged thing. But yeah. apart from that, I have no idea what's so going on. So the dilithium crystals... Are able, Stop those two meeting. Yeah. They, when you put energy through the dilithium crystal, it makes this energy field that stops antimatter from touching any kind of matter. So without yeah. the dilithium crystals, you're hosed. So they get a message from Starfleet Command. It's code factor one, invasion status. They need to invade or they're being invaded? I think they're being invaded, but maybe it works both ways. Hmm. They find out whatever happened to the Enterprise happened all over the galaxy. Starfleet is pulling all of its nearby ships away, and Commodore Barstow's plan is to use the Enterprise as bait for potential invaders. Bait for potential invaders. Do they know what's going on? Or did <laughs> I go to my happy place and miss a vital plot point? <laughs> uh, yeah, this is some bad writing here, because they totally jumped to this huge conclusion that... Something is trying to invade space. I don't know why they would jump to that conclusion. It seems like a, a natural phenomena of some kind. And why would they be bait? Why would that be useful? The conclusion they're jumping to is that something's trying to punch through into our reality. Yeah. And that if this something is punching through, it could potentially be an invasion force of some kind. Mm -hmm. Why they think that, I have no idea. That seems ridiculous to me. Like, that's the first thing that you jump to. But why is it useful for the gang to go down onto a planet as bait? Well, just to stay in that system. I don't think they necessarily need to go down to the planet. Mm -hmm. Their spaceship's going to stay there. So if this is an invasion force, they'll come towards the Enterprise and vaporize it, attack it. I don't know what they're thinking. This just doesn't to, make any sense. Just to draw it there. Yeah, Instead of elsewhere. I guess. God, that's harsh, isn't it? it? It is harsh. And again, I don't agree with it. And it doesn't make a lot of sense. And there's a lot of 
uh, jumping to conclusions, which kind of bothers me. Mm. So uh, it's one of the many wonky things in this particular episode. Yeah. So we find out that this guy is called Lazarus, named after the guy Jesus raised from the dead, mm -hmm, I guess. Mm -hmm. Not sure quite how that's significant. Lazarus claims that he's pursuing a thing, but it's a humanoid thing that destroyed his entire civilization. Lazarus will stop at nothing to destroy it. Imagine as you hear us tell the rest of the story that about every two minutes, Lazarus starts gurning and writhing and we have the superimposed picture of space plus a white rectangle spinning towards and away from the camera. Extra, extra, read all about it. <laughs> According to fandom, the spinning paper trope was popular in 1930s B-movies, mm -mm. but any movie using it after 1936 was deliberately invoking the trope as a tribute or parody, such as Citizen Kane, mm -hmm. Singing in the Rain, and Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey. Here, it doesn't work. <laughs> it does not work. <laughs> it doesn't have a newspaper on it here, but it's just so familiar that it, yeah. it, it can't be seen as anything. Else. Exactly. It's it's just a square that spins and then yeah. comes out. So you think it's a newspaper, but it's not a newspaper. It's sort of this vision into this negative. Everything's negative flipped oh, yes. color image. And there's two dudes fighting, which you think is Lazarus fighting with somebody. Yeah, maybe Kirk. It's, we don't know if it's the future or now. But... It's hard to tell exactly what it is. But man, it happens a lot. Oh, and it lasts a long time. And it goes on. Yes. So they go back down to the planet to look for this bad guy, but there's nothing there. Lazarus has this little ship, but that's it. And Spock calls Lazarus a liar to his face. Oh, calling him a liar. Come on, he's not well. Yeah. Intentionally deceiving is lying. And I think it's hard to prove that someone is a lying unless mm. you know that they know differently and are presenting a falsehood. Mm. So I think it's very illogical for Spock to claim that this guy is lying. Yeah. Because it's kind of presumptuous that he would know that that guy actually knows something. But he doesn't know if that guy actually knows something. Mm. That mm -hmm. guy could just be crazy or confused or just mm. wrong. So, uh -huh. Or their evidence could be wrong. Exactly. So Kirk demands the truth from Lazarus and we get the wonky effect yet again. Mm -hmm. And man, it is so tiresome mm -hmm. by this point already. And we're still pretty early into the show. <laughs> so back of the ship, Lazarus is just kind of waltzing around. Of course. Nobody cares. Yeah. He's in the mess. This time he's got no bandage on his head. Clue. <laughs> well, McCoy spotted it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he did. He did. And alerts Kirk. But when Kirk finds Lazarus, he has a plaster on again. Yeah. And so Kirk decides McCoy was joking. And like a weary daddy. <laughs> He says he doesn't have time for this. <laughs> really, Kirk? This is unbelievable after all you've seen? <laughs> Maybe McCoy is notorious for the April Fools and no one knows when it is April anymore, so he just does them all the time. And Yeah, he could be a regular prankster like a George Clooney. Oh, is he? Oh, is oh he? yeah. Oh. George Clooney is notorious for, for pulling pranks all the time. So maybe McCoy is the Clooney of the yeah. Enterprise. Well, he does have a cruel sense of humor, so I could see him as a prankster. Lazarus is just lounging around in the mess hall. Man, there's this great interaction between Lieutenant Masters and an engineer. Hi. Hi. Coffee? Is that an order, Lieutenant? <laughs> I know what you mean. Reamplification finished on the dilithium crystals? Yeah, ready and waiting. <laughs> I know what you mean. What? <laughs> I, don't guess it. I, I don't know. I, it could mean that like the coffee is so bad that you would have to order somebody to drink it. Oh, really? Is that what? Uh -huh. I don't know what was going on. But it was so weird and stilted that we had to pause the video, you and I, because we were laughing so hard. It coffee, just seemed... is that an order, Lieutenant? I know what you mean. <laughs> I can't. <laughs> Lazarus leaves and again, the swap. 
Every time we see all the effects, and that's a lot, he swaps from sparkly plaster to no plaster. Yes. On the bridge, Spock sees where this radiation is coming from on the planet, but not really. There is a location, but no viable source. Like there's a rip in the universe. <laughs> so Spock thinks that he can figure out what's up with some dilithium crystals. And this gets Lazarus all jazzed up. I don't know why they're talking about this in front of Lazarus, <laughs> but they are. So he tells Kirk he needs the dilithium crystals to beat the evil guy. And Kirk says, no way, Jose. So then Lazarus sneaks, I guess sneaks, yeah. probably just waltzes around the ship. Nobody yeah. seems to care that he's there. He doesn't seem to be under any kind of real guard. So he goes to this new room, which we've never seen before. It's an offshoot of engineering where Lieutenant Masters and an engineer are doing some work. He uses some kind of smelling salt or something. He puts it under their nose and they kind of pass out. Charlene's featured fairly prominently in this episode. Yeah. Just being an effective and involved lieutenant. She's played by African-American actress Janet McLaughlin mm -hmm. and she has natural hair at a time when I imagine that that was pretty unusual on screen. Sure, yeah. I'm thinking of Aretha Franklin, the Supremes, that uh, relaxed hairstyle or wigs mm -hmm. that were so prominent. Well, her wears one. A horror wears one, yeah. of course. Off screen, of course, the civil rights movement was strong and natural hair was being worn as a symbol of rebellion, pride and empowerment. But yeah. she was pretty early in the game, I think, as far as I could tell yeah. in terms of a presentation on screen of that. Yeah, well, Janet McLaughlin had a very long acting career. So, I, yeah. I went and looked. She was mm -hmm. working well into the 2000s uh, and I think she died in 2010. Don't I think know. So. Yeah, she, she passed but away. loads of work, really oh, long yeah. at IMDb stuff. So, yeah. yeah, go check her out. So in the briefing room, Kirk confronts Lazarus about stealing the dilithium, which he denies. He says it was the monster. He doesn't have the dilithium crystal, so who does? Hmm. Kirk smells something's up, but he's unsure what exactly. They go back to the planet to look in Lazarus' ship, but nothing. They look around for the monster some more, but then Lazarus falls off this high cliff on purpose. I don't. <laughs> it's really weird. Hmm. It doesn't make it. He's up super high, and then he just kind of climbing around for no apparent reason, and then he just yeah. falls. Looks like it would be fatal to a normal person. Oh, yeah. But they go take him back to the Enterprise yet again mm -hmm. in sickbay. Kirk is sick of his BS and demands <laughs> to know what's going on. Lazarus says that you won't believe me, but Kirk gets him to talk. And he says he's a time traveler. My spaceship is more than just that. It's a time chamber. A time ship. And I, I am a time traveler. And this thing you search for as a time traveler too? Oh yes. He's fled me across all the years. All the empty years to a dead future. On a murdered planet he destroyed. Huh. And this is never brought up again. <laughs> the time travel again. <laughs> never again. No. <laughs> I don't understand. Is he lying? Is he delusional? Because the story we get later is not is not what we heard earlier. It's really bizarre, it's not addressed, and it's confusing. Yeah, don't think anyone edited this script. <laughs> so Dr. McCoy kicks everybody out of med bay so Lazarus can get some rest. Oh, do you really need to kick out the guard, McCoy? Just because you're intimidated by his muscles. <laughs> he calls him a meathead, doesn't he? <laughs> no, he says muscle guy or like something like that. It was funny because I thought the guy was kind of like... Yeah, that's right. Mm, I, I spent a lot of time at the gym. I'm glad you noticed. So in the briefing room, Kirk, Spock, they have a think on this whole thing. And they jump to a lot of conclusions and come up with some nutty and correct answers. <laughs> the energy is from another universe, a parallel universe. There are two Lazaruses. And if they ever meet in the same universe, both universes would explode. So this is kind of the matter-antimatter theory. Uh -huh. But for them, in this particular story, it actually has to be the same dudes have to meet for this explosion to occur this annihilation. Can't they use him as fuel? 
<laughs> Put him if, in a dilithium crystal, boom. Yeah, if they got the, if they get him in the dilithium chamber, then yes, they yeah. could. Yeah. So I I guess it seems that one dude is matter and one dude is antimatter. For some reasons, when they swap over, they also swap whether they're matter or antimatter status. Mm. So that means that when the antimatter guy comes over, somehow he's changed to matter. Right. That's this tunnel that they go. That's the negative tunnel thing that we see the fighting, which is revealed later. Oh. Somehow that corrects it so that there's no explosion in the. It's very confusing. I'm not I'm not sure if that makes any sense or I just didn't understand it myself. But seemingly reading what other people have written about this and the very small wiki entries are, I think a lot of people are confused about this actual oh, okay. story. During the chat, Lazarus sneaks out again. I told you, McCoy. <laughs> and this time he starts a fire and fills the engineering side station with smoke, chasing Paul Lieutenant Masters and the engineer out. Mm -hmm. He runs in and takes the crystals. Lazarus then does a lame psych out on a transporter <laughs> operator and beams down. We then see people in full on hazmat suits enter the smoking room. And then Kirk and Spock just walk in after them yeah. with no protection. They don't care. They're tough. Then Kirk beams down after Lazarus while Spock gets a security team together. When Kirk gets to the Lazarus ship, Lazarus is freaking out as Kirk enters. And then Kirk disappears into the weird negative world. Oh no! Once he goes through this kind of negative tunnel, he comes out into a place that looks just like the planet. But instead, there is a chill Lazarus, and he explains what's going on. His people figured out how to create a negative magnetic corridor that connects the two universes. It's a release valve for matter-antimatter. Huh? I didn't get that at all from watching it. Yeah. I didn't even get that there was this negative magnetic corridor. <laughs> yeah, it was confusing from watching it and I combed over the script <laughs> and the wiki is trying to understand this better and mm. uh, it's tough. It's tough to understand. Yeah, wow. So the story goes like this. Crazy Lazarus freaked out about the other universe and kind of lost his mind. He feels he now has to destroy the other Chill Lazarus. Don't know why he thinks this. <laughs> Chill Lazarus says that he's just gone mad and he doesn't give two craps if he blows up two universes by interacting with negative Lazarus. Wow. How many times would you have to hear me sniffing into the microphone to get that mad? <laughs> <laughs> Chris spends a lot of time editing out this. I do. So Chill Laz explains that Kirk has to go back, force crazy Laz into the negative magnetic corridor at the same time Chill Laz goes in. I love your surface speak version of this. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, then Kirk must destroy Crazy Laz's ship, and that will seal both Chill Laz and Crazy Laz into the negative magnetic corridor. Kirk is like, you'll be fighting that guy for all of eternity. And Chill Laz is like, small price to pay for saving two universes. Oh, what a hero. A totally unappealing hero. <laughs> <laughs> Does Crazy Laz think Chill Laz is bad? Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. That's why he's trying to destroy him. That's why he's going nuts, calling him a monster and all that stuff. All right, yeah. That I got at least. <laughs> <laughs> Just that though. Uh, Kirk goes back and he fights with Crazy Laz. And this part, man, we're in stitches about this. Because Spock and the security team are there and they just stand and watch Kirk wrestle uh, with Laz yep. for like 30 seconds. Oh, and they, yeah. It, it's really bizarre. Uh-huh. Ridiculous. <laughs> Maybe it's a status thing and Kirk doesn't let them weigh in. But then we've got two universes at stake here. I know. And what's the security team for? They it's, finally brought one down. Yes, exactly. And they're not dead yet. <laughs> but actually, are all these missions centered around Kirk's fetish for fighting? <laughs> Maybe the whole charade each episode's just for him to get that release. <laughs> <laughs> While everyone watches. Oh my gosh. Uh, 
So Kirk gets Crazy Laz into the corridor. They beam up to the Enterprise and destroy Laz's ship from orbit. Then off they fly, warp factor one. Everything's all right, Mr. Spock, for us. There is, of course, no escape for them, sir. There is, of course, no escape. How would it be? Trapped forever with a raging madman at your throat until time itself came to a stop for eternity. How would it be? Captain, the universe is safe. For you and me. But what of Lazarus? What of Lazarus? What indeed? (laughs) (laughs) Concepts. They're really trying to make some pathos out of it at the end with the what of Lazarus stuff. One man giving his life for eternity to save two universes. A Jesus analogy. Lazarus's name links him to Jesus and being raised from the dead. But in this case, rather than Jesus giving his life so all Christians can live an eternity in heaven, Lazarus spends an eternity in his version of hell so that life can continue to exist for everyone else. Am I pushing it there? No, I mean, maybe. There might be some subtext in there that... Trying to get something out of it. Yeah, but it's, man, that's a thin line to Mm. get to. Like Lazarus in the story was a dead dude. Jesus came by, raised him from the dead. Yeah. That was one of his miracles. Yeah, I don't think there's a parallel to Lazarus. Yeah, no. I think maybe to Jesus. But yeah, it's mm, it's pretty str- strange that that would be in there because Ronberry was a humanist, you know, mm. not religious. So it would be strange to have that in there. Yeah, clearly it had impacted Kirk. But what did you make of it? I didn't buy the dialogue at the end, no matter how good Shatner and Nimoy are at <laughs> delivering it. I didn't care. <laughs> well, I mean, that idea of somebody being you know, tortured for eternity, that's mm. kind of terrible. I mm-hmm. mean, anybody, like, I don't know Lazarus, but to go, oh yeah, this guy to save our universes sacrificed himself. And not in a way that when you sacrifice yourself and you die, you just die. Mm-hmm. So your your suffering ends. Yeah. If there is any, his suffering goes on forever. So that's abhorrent. Sure, but was it moving? Uh... <laughs> <laughs> no. Yeah, it didn't feel like the style of ending that we're used to. No, usually it's kind of a light upbeat mm. at the end, kind of a, a little button, if you will. Yeah. But this one wasn't, the button was, I think they were trying to, like you said, give it some gravitas. Yeah. And they thought, what of Lazarus? Yeah. Whew. It's mm. a pr- some pretty pretty weak stuff, this one. We had the concept again of battling an evil version of the self. Mm-hmm. We've had it with Evil Kirk. And we've just watched Forbidden Planet, where this is a spoiler alert theme. <laughs> we've never had another dimension, though. We're doing a mini episode on Forbidden Planet for June's bonus content on Patreon for $5 plus backers. So mm-hmm. look out for that. Yes. So how did I do with my guesses? Well, he's not an omnipotent guy no he's not a light being no so that was inaccurate but um the energy source wasn't fuel but it was to do with fuel because of the dilithium crystals i guess kind of yeah sure i'll give you that i was Uh, totally off base they'd just forgotten about the klingon no no fighting thing no yeah that doesn't it had reset (laughs) (laughs) well they can't fight with the klingons is that all well i don't know that was what they said Mm, the organians yeah that would be a really boring show if they couldn't fight anybody (laughs) ever again okay was it just with the klingons i think so we didn't have a period costume no i did pretty badly didn't i 
Yeah, I well, didn't have much to go on. No, you didn't. I, I Every one of the synopses I could find was pretty spoilerific, so I kind of mm. pared it down a bit. I guess I should have given you a bit more. Give me a bit more next time, yeah. So these concepts, like conceptually from a sci-fi standpoint, the cool idea is that there is an alternate charged universe, an antimatter universe that exists. If our universe and that universe ever connected in any way, like an individual, mm. that it would be annihilation for both of us right so that's kind of a neat idea yeah but not not really i really hate that idea (laughs) it's it's adding too much it's hard enough to conceive the stars in the sky for god's sake that i can see sure don't add other dimensions and antimatter to it oh (sighs) calm down your heart i gotta say conceptually that's not enough to base a story off of Mm. it's like that could be an aspect of it but the rest of it it just seemed like they go oh i like that idea what are we going to do with it and they just sort of floundered so i would say that the idea is maybe a two or three yeah. and the execution of said idea is a flat out is one as Ooh, low as we can go wow one i would say one or zero i don't know Yeah, minus one if it's anti numbers <laughs> <laughs> yeah the concepts didn't grab me at all and never mind the execution i put three but that's quite generous now i'm thinking yeah. so entertainment lazarus was totally unconvincing and he had no screen presence his eyeline was off or something, and the beard and the messed up sparkly spacesuit sure didn't help. In his defence, it was another of those harsh Star Trek acting challenges, which as usual included gurning on a sparkly bed in sick bay and lots of freaking out while everyone else acts subtly. Yes. So what could he do really? But yeah. mm, I'm sure it still could have been done better. Well, strangely enough, this role was cast originally to be played by John Drew Barrymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, Drew Barrymore's father. All right, but he just didn't show up. Oh, he had notorious, you know, alcohol and drug problem. All right, so he didn't show up, and this guy was last minute pull in. Oh, just pulled in the grip to do it. Quick, <laughs> <laughs> get beard on him. We've only got no, half an hour. He's an actor, but you got—I mean—they really just kind of roped him in. Yeah. He had little prep. He was probably reading his lines, then that's why his eyeline was off. <laughs> Could have Might been. been, yeah, because they started shooting because John Barrymore didn't show right. up, so they started shooting while trying to figure out what to do. So they yeah. did all the other stuff. So he might. Might have been reading his lines. Oh wow! So I give him, I give him a little slack. Yeah, fair enough. The problem for me is it's just the script is terrible. They didn't lose the script at the last minute and have to rewrite it, did yeah. they? I mean, nope. maybe they did. <laughs> Was it a budget-saving episode? Just the ship, Vasquez rocks again, and a little spaceship yeah, to could, make. Yeah. I've decided maybe it's charming now that they always let people like Lazarus wander around the ship, causing havoc. <laughs> <laughs> Here he's setting fires, knocking people out, beaming, swapping back and forth from another dimension. Yeah. <laughs> Nobody's bothered. No. <laughs> I enjoyed laughing and despairing at the repeated effects, but does that count as entertainment? Yeah, it was kind of so bad it was kind of good mm, in moments. A bit, yeah. Yeah, so three. Three. Yeah, yeah, that seems fair. Three. Uh, so for sexiness. Charlene and Ahura just being equal effective crew members was sexy, I thought. Yeah. They didn't talk to each other, but they did have plenty to say. Yeah. Lazarus got the proverbial penis back onto the couch, though. What? You know, in the matchmaker where she's always talking about getting the penis <laughs> off the couch. <laughs> whether that, whether someone's attractive or not. Oh, golly, yes. Uh, Rachel's referring to the show Hollywood Matchmaker. Is that what it was called? Yeah, where this woman would, rich people would pay her to yeah. find them a, a spouse, basically. Yeah. Her rating as to whether there was sexual attraction was whether the penis gets up off the couch. I yeah. don't really know what that means. The penis gets them up off the couch. Oh, does it? Oh, yes. So that they would be like, they're on the couch being lazy. And is this woman attractive enough to get them up off the couch? I thought it was your penis when you're sitting there with your legs wide. 
your penis is kind of down oh. on the couch. Oh, and then if you see a sexy woman, it it, get, it raises up off the couch. <laughs> I don't. Maybe I'm now, wrong. It doesn't make any sense either way. Maybe I'm wrong. But so Lazarus was very anti-sexy. Yes. Not just yeah. anti-matter, <laughs> yeah. anti-sexy. Kirk, not too sparkly today, but not bad. Three. Yeah. No, I... that seems a bit much. <laughs> Three. Three. <laughs> Two and a half. Yeah, I thought uh, I thought Charlene was very yeah, attractive. Yeah, yeah. points uh, for her. And I was just interested in her. She seemed fascinating mm. to me. So I wanted I wanted more Charlene. So I give her yeah three just for her. This is something funny that I read from the Agony Booth website. This had an article which was the worst of Trek. The recap of this particular episode, they wrote, very little actually happens, and what little that does come about only because Kirk and company are written to act in such a way that can only be described as severely brain damaged. Ooh. Harsh. Goes on and says, I never thought I'd say this, but this episode is making Spock's brain look pretty goddamn good right about now. Uh, he concludes, this is one of the most poorly constructed 50 minutes I've ever seen, an almost impossibly incoherent script. A damp squib of a finale and some horrible editing make this one of the true stinkers in the Trek universe. He also mentions that Barrymore didn't show up for filming. Given the script, I can't say I blame the fella. The rest of the cast should have done the same thing, to be perfectly frank. Aww. Man, that is harsh. That's really harsh. We didn't go that harsh with it. Mm, poor Charlene to be involved in that episode. I know. Do you ever remember seeing it? Yes, I mm. do remember the negative back and forth uh -huh. thing. Even as a kid, I was like, what, what is, go is going on? Why are they doing this over and over yeah. again? It wasn't cool to begin with. And uh -huh. yet it happens like nine times. Yeah. I was this dreading this episode coming up. I have oh. to admit, because I was like, oh no, this is that episode. We've had some good ones leading up to this. So yes. I'm still in. Well, next <laughs> week is one of my favorites. It's a classic episode. Mm -hmm. It's called City on the Edge of Forever. Oh, people have been going on about this one. Yes. A lot of people's favorite out there. It's it's a, it's a time travel one. They go back to 1930s, yeah. but it's good. Got some romance, a lot of pathos in there. Mm -hmm. Very interesting, but simple storyline. It's not going to break your brain. Good. <laughs> I think you're going to dig it. All right, let's see. Also, I just want to bring up our sponsors once again, La Belle Esplanade. Thank you to them for their support and head over there and check them out. And Rachel, I want to thank you for suffering through the alternative factor with me. Yeah, wow. And, <laughs> that felt like a long time. <laughs> it was a long, long time. With that, I'm Chris Lackey. And I'm Rachel Lackey. And you've been listening to... Rachel Watches Star Trek. Star Trek!